0: We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of his glory to you. All right, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for trekking through the snow. It's fun. Grab your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. We have a lot to cover this morning, so we're just going to jump right in. We're working through the book of Mark, um, and we'll be over through, through this year. Uh, so here, here we go. Last week we saw, as you're turning there, we're, we're going to work through just to uh, catch some of you up if you weren't here. Last week we saw Jesus choose a very unlikely disciple by the name of Levi. And, and he, he was a tax collector, if you remember, if you were here, if, if not, you, you may know the story. In the eyes of the uppity ups, in, in the eyes of the, the uh, religious people, religious leaders of the day, he was scum. He was vile, he was dirty, he was unclean. He, he was not the guy that you would think that Jesus would choose, but Jesus chose him to be one of his followers. And then what happens next as we think through that story? Did, did Jesus finally come to his senses and learn his lesson and decide, oh man, that was a bad choice? Like, now, now I get it. I, haven't, I, I shouldn't have gone against the social norms of, of the day. I, I shouldn't have gone against the expectations that others have for me. I, I shouldn't have done that. No, that's not, that's not what he does at all. He goes to eat with Levi and his friends. That's what we see. Beautiful picture of, of Jesus going to, to call sinners to himself. And so he goes to the house of Levi and his friends, and they have this long, drawn-out, intimate feast um, with Levi and the others who are seen as as dirt. And that does not sit well with the shirt tucked in stiff uh, religious leaders who who think that they have it all together, right? And we, you, you get this picture that they're looking in the windows because they weren't invited in and they wouldn't go in. So they're looking in the windows of this house and seeing this all go down. And Jesus knows that they're in there and looking and watching and asking questions and so he says listen guys you think you have your act together you think that you've got all of these things together and you don't need me fine i i came for those who know their need everyone gets what he's saying there right everyone understands and and that's jesus way to communicate that everyone everyone is in need and, and some people actually know their need Right? That, that's what we see. That's what we saw last week. From that point on in the book of Mark, we see opposition against Jesus. Opposition comes from those who, who really, we could boil it all down, really don't know that they have a need for Jesus. And so they're, they're getting opposition from Him. Sure, sure they, they want the benefits. They want the benefits of living a religious life, however they define that. They, they want the benefits, but they don't want Jesus. They, they don't want Jesus. Now isn't that a temptation even for us? Right? That, that's a temptation for us. There are times when we want the benefits uh, of living what we would call a good life, uh, a religious life. But we don't want the gospel. We don't want to allow the gospel to actually penetrate our hearts and our lives so that then we're changing and being, being made into the image and likeness of Jesus. We, we want the benefits of that life, but we don't want our hearts radically changed and our way of thinking radically changed. We want the benefits of what, what I would call religion, and, and, and we, don't, we want the benefits of Jesus, but we don't want what comes along with the transformation of the gospel. We, we don't want to actually do the hard work of repentance, of turning from sin. That's a temptation, I think, for all of us at different times. This morning, what we're going to see in, in, in chapter 2, and the beginning of chapter 3, are these different interactions, two different interactions that Jesus has that point to this very, very same kind of thing. The, the kind of life that leans heavily on religion. The kind of life that, that leans heavily on religion being your solution. Being the thing that, that's going to do it for you. The kind of life that leans heavily on the things you do being your significance, your, your salvation, your, your life. And Mark shows us here that Jesus came to rearrange that line of thinking. He came to rearrange that kind of thinking for the Pharisees of his day. But here's the warning. Don't be too quick in pointing your fingers. Okay. Let's not be too quick at, at pointing our fingers. Let, let's jump in. I think we're going to see, see where, where I'm going here. Uh, Luke, or I'm sorry, Luke. Where'd that come from? I'm not going through Luke. Mark, chapter 2. Uh, look at verse 18. This is what happens. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wine skins. What do we see in that? We're going to stop right there. What do we see in that? Mark starts right in with some interaction here and with some background. He gives us some of the background. He says the Pharisees, the disciples of the Pharisees, the disciples of John are here and they're fasting, right? That, that's what we see from the very beginning, and Mark gives us that. And, and so here's what we need to do. All right, I get it. We're in church, and so a lot of people probably have some sort of a religious background. But what is fasting? I think we need to answer that first. We, we, we need to understand that fasting is a setting aside of food, at least for the people of this day. Fasting was a setting aside of food to devote themselves to something else, usually prayer. Sometimes grief or mourning of some, si- some, some kind, but usually prayer. Fasting was seen as true piety, as, as the, the very religious people holding to something like, like fasting. So these were the religious uh, of the religious. Fasting. You were a devoted part of your religion if you were seen a, as someone who was fasting. Here, in, in this case, it was Judaism. So Mark... Um, jumps right in and he says John's disciples were fasting. John the Baptist's disciples were fasting. The disciples of the Pharisees were uh, fasting. And, and he combines these two groups, not because they had anything in common at all, but because he's just throwing out the, here, here are the two groups of people that if you want to be religious, so, so look at them. Model how they are, are working this out. If you want to be an astute religious person of the day, those are the two groups of people who come to mind. They, they both hold to fasting, but here's the deal fasting was only required on the day of atonement one day was fasting required for the people of god the pharisees however had a whole list a whole a whole track of ways that you could fast that they were pulling from the torah the law they were they were pulling these things out and they made up several lists of reasons why you should be fasting, not just on the Day of Atonement, but they had three different categories. Fasting first, fasting for for sorrow over national disaster, right? So the destruction of the temple happens and they fast. The Pharisees say, yeah, you should do that. Secondly, they said you fast in times of crisis, in times of, of some sort of crisis. There was war or plague or drought or famine. Isn't that funny? That's a funny one right? There's famine, and so you fast. Well, you don't have much of an option, so you're, you're fasting there, right? Thank, thanks for that, guys. Uh, three, um, the other reason is one should fast for self-imposed personal reasons. That's the blanket one, right? And so they, they group all of this in, and so on top of that, the Pharisees say, oh, and, and also Mondays and Thursdays, right? In case we didn't get enough, Mondays and Thursdays you should fast. And so in come the people to question Jesus. Now these aren't the Pharisees that we see that that are asking this question. This was a group of common people who are coming to Jesus and asking him these questions. Which I think shows us that in this day fasting was regarded as a mark of true piety. True godliness. It's a group of common people and they come and they, they question. Disciples of all kinds are, are fasting, Jesus, but not yours. Why? And, and what are all these people getting at in their questioning? I, I think we, we read between the lines and we see that they're trying to belittle or tear down the validity of Jesus and his disciples right? Who, who is this guy? Who are his disciples? They must be nobodies because they aren't doing the things that the other devoted religious people are doing. Isn't that what's being asked here, right? That, that's what they're asking. They don't really care what they've put in their mouths and digested. They're asking, why are you not like these other religious people? Now, how does Jesus respond then to their questioning? He responds with three, responds with three very vivid pictures very vivid images of, of how this goes down. The first one, he paints this picture of a, of a wedding feast. Now, the typical wedding feast of this day was about seven days long. It would drag on and on and on. And, and during that time, during those festivities, there was feasting. There was eating, not fasting, right? There, there was eating. And Jesus says the guests of the wedding cannot be asked to abstain from eating if the wedding party is there they can't be asked to not eat now let's not miss something here that that Jesus throws in right we, we can't miss what Jesus is saying Jesus uses a very familiar word to trigger a response in the minds of the those who are questioning he says the the guests at the, at the wedding cannot be asked to abstain abstain from eating if the bridegroom is here if the bridegroom is here the guests cannot be asked to fast they should celebrate now that word bridegroom is 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 peeking in the, the ears and the minds of these people because throughout the old testament only god is the one who's referred to as the bridegroom and so what's jesus saying here in a sense what jesus is saying is i'm god and i'm here I'm God and I'm here and we can't ask the people who are around me to abstain from celebrating while I'm here. That's shocking for this group of people who, who are listening in. And the next thing that he says is this. There will be a day when the bridegroom's taken away from them, taken away from the people. Then they can fast. Then they can mourn. The wording that's used there is not to show that the bridegroom is leaving on his own volition. So don't get that mind that he's off to his honeymoon. Like that's not what's happening. In fact, in that day, the, the bridegroom didn't leave. The, the guest did. And so Jesus is not saying, yeah, I, the bridegroom's leaving on his own, own volition. Rather, he's being taken away. There's a violent taken being taken away. And so Jesus is doing what? He's foreshadowing what's coming, right? He, he's foreshadowing that, that time when, when he's going to be violently taken to his own, own death. And so Jesus says, yeah, I, I'm here now. And so we've got to celebrate. These disciples are around me. It's not a time to mourn. There's a day coming when I'm going to be taken away. Then they can fast. That's the first picture he paints. Very vivid in their minds. The second picture that he paints, or the second little parable that he tells, he's doing so to answer their question, um, and he begins to talk about cloth, right? Jesus is now into fashion, and so he begins to talk about cloth it's it's a it's an easy easy image to understand let let me help us all get there when you buy a cheap cotton t-shirt what happens when you wash it for the first time what happens shrinks right in fact it shrinks to a size that's only only appropriate to be sold at baby gap or hollister right (laughs) same store It shrinks to a size where you can't actually get into it. Now, let's pretend that that shirt from Hollister actually ends up being the shirt that fits you, which it never will, and it becomes your favorite shirt. You've washed it enough, and it's not going to shrink anymore because it's not physically possible to get any smaller. But one day, you snag that shirt on something, and you rip a softball-sized hole into that shirt. Right Now what do you do? You're devastated. I don't know a lot of you are devastated about your Hollister shirt. And so you go out and you buy a, a matching piece of cloth, brand new matching piece of cloth, and you cut the, the, the piece of fabric exactly that size and you sew it on so that no one notices, right? Although shirts you get there are ripped and shredded anyway, but no one notices that your shirt is, is ripped. What happens when you wash that shirt now? That, that piece of fabric shrinks, but your shirt doesn't, and it just rips away e- even more, right? That, that new piece of fabric is going to pull away from the shirt more and more and more and rip it. That's an easy easy thing to understand. Then he tells something that's not as easy for us to understand because we, we don't carry our wine in wineskins, right? Sometimes we carry it in boxes with a bag inside, which is kind of weird, but we don't carry it in wineskins. And so Jesus talks about the, the wine that's stored in skins skins instead of, of bottles. And here's what happens. The fermentation process happened while they're in these skins, which would then stretch the skin. It would expand and contract and, and expand during the fermentation process. And after repeated uses of that happening, the, the skin would then become dry and brittle and crack apart. And, and no one would ever try to do new wine that would be fermenting in a dried and cracked out wineskin, because what would happen? It would burst, right? It would burst open and be ruined. And so Jesus paints this picture with these two little stories that are in the minds of people, except for the Hollister part. They're in the minds of people, and they understand what's happening. And the the meaning of the cloth and the wineskin pictures are the same. And And here's what he's getting at. When something new is present, you don't mix it in with the old and try to create some hybrid product and here here 's what he 's trying to say it just doesn't it just doesn 't work that way. The cloth would be ripped, the wineskins would burst open, and so the question is jesus why aren 't your disciples doing the same thing that the disciples of the Pharisees are doing? why aren 't your disciples holding to the religious standards of the good Pharisees and Jesus' answer to them is this i 'm here i 've brought a new way of thinking. I brought a new way of thinking. While I'm here, it's time for celebration. You can't mix the old way of thinking in with the new way. You can't have mourning and sorrow and and religious piety based on the things that you've built up and me. It's just not going to work. Does that make sense? see see where Jesus is headed there that's a completely new way of thinking for a lot of these people who are now standing here thinking I just asked this question and he just nailed me Jesus is not an add on right that's what we need to hear Jesus is not an add on but how many of us live our lives that way where, where we, we take some of our work, some of our religious practices, some of our efforts to be good and right and, and, and neat and, and tidy, and, and we try then to, on top of that, add in Jesus. How many of us do that? I think we, we may all fit into those categories. We tack Jesus as, as an add-on to our religion. Jesus is not an add-on. He's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's the one who has reconciled us to the Father. He is the central figure, not the add-on. He, he's the central figure to all of this. Everything that we're about, He's not the add-on. And some of us, myself included at times, need to hear that. That we've made up a religion that pushes the necessity of Jesus out so far that we need to somehow intentionally try to bring Him back in and tack Him on. You been there? So throughout the week, you've made up ways where where you can win back God's favor somehow. And If I don't do this... If I I don't do these things and I stay away from that and and, and I'm I'm careful and I try not to do too much of this, then I'll get God's approval and and other people will see that I'm I'm under God's approval. He he cares for me and I've got his approval if I do the right things. And then Sunday comes and we sing songs about Jesus and, and we celebrate communion and you realize that you've forgotten Jesus altogether and you've got to try to tack him on somehow. That, that's not a lifestyle of repentance and that's not a lifestyle of belief in the gospel, which is what Jesus is preaching from the very beginning of the book of Mark. Jesus is not an add-on. So let, let's think about our day. Think about your week. Think about your day. How, how you build your life around your different hopes, and then you tack Jesus on to the end. Think about it. Your work, right? You, you go through your work day, and, and you interact with people, and you've got business dealings with people, and, and, and you get to the end of the day, and you realize, you know what? No one in, in this place knows that I even follow Jesus. I've got to tack him on somehow, and so you buy a cheesy coffee cup, and you think that does it, right? Or, or you think, think about your, 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 your parenting, you're a parent, right? You, you think you've got it all together. You're directing your kids in the right thing. You, you're doing the right things. You're not feeding them, you know, sugars and w- the hairspray and whatever else you're eating. That one just came to mind. I don't know why you feed them hairspray. Um, don't. Um, but if you do that, like you've got all these things in your mind where you're thinking, this is exactly what I want to do, and this is how I want to raise my kids, and this is how they're going to be healthy and and wise. And oh. I I forgot, i got to tack Jesus on somehow. We do that with so much of the way that we live our lives. And so what we need is people around us who know us well enough to point that stuff out. You you just tack Jesus on to that. You you just somehow added Jesus to something that you've been trying to build up for yourself. We need to be in God's word so that we see these kinds of things. Right? They're they're plastered all over the pages of, of Scripture. Jesus is not an add-on, and so often we we try to shape and and create our own religion, and that's that's what the Pharisees have done too. We we see that in these pages. We continue to see the the opposition. Look, look on to chapter or verse twenty-three of chapter two. We see this opposition continue. Verse twenty-three. One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, the, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath cut to the next scene, right? That's exactly what Mark does. We see that throughout Mark. There, there's no great transition. He, he says, uh, let's go right to the next thing. Let's, let's move. Let's look at, at Jesus. Let's see more and more of Jesus. And so that's what Mark does. He says, look, look Jesus is walking through a grain field with his disciples. Now, what I want to do right now is erase in your minds the picture of the gladiator walking through the grain field, all right? <laughs> I know it's there. So just erase that. That's not what's happening. All right. Out? Out of your mind? All right. So Jesus is walking through this, this grain field with his disciples. When? On the Sabbath. Right? It's happening on the Sabbath. His disciples are, are getting hungry, and so they begin to pluck heads of grain off to eat. That's really hungry. Right? That, that's really hungry. Enter the Pharisees and they cry foul. I get this picture of the Pharisees up to, up to this point in Mark, that they're just hiding around every bush, right? And they're like, Wah! you know, and they're, they're right there ready to cry out foul on anything that Jesus is doing. And so there they are walking through the grain field, and they pop up. And the, and the Pharisees are, are there right away on the Sabbath crying foul. You see, the Sabbath was a, a day of no work, It's the fourth commandment in in the Ten Commandments. This is one thing. Hear this. This is one thing that sets Judaism apart from every other religion, every other belief system, and and it's tied back to creation. There are other religious systems that say don't murder, don't steal. There are other religious systems that say that. But here, built in from creation is a commandment from God to, to honor the Sabbath. On the seventh day of creation, God rested from His work, so should His people. Over time, though, what happened is that, that people defined work as almost every kind of movement. right? You, you move or breathe or touch your hair or do whatever, and, and that is work. There are documents that detail very specific laws about what one can and cannot do. And the Pharisees held to every single one of these laws. One cannot carry children on the Sabbath. I guess you learn to walk early. Um, one cannot help a, a birthing animal. Right? An animal falls into a pit, you say sorry. You, you don't lift the animal out. There's no plowing, there's no hunting, there's no butchering, there's no tying or untying knots. There's no sewing. There's no writing. If you have a dislocated shoulder, you could not have it set. And so you're just dangling, I guess. I'm not sure what happens then. If you were walking, you're not allowed to travel more than 1,999 steps. You take that 2,000th one, you've broken the commandments, or so the Pharisees would hold. One would not be able to repair a roof if it fell. Even if it fell on people, you could look to see if there are alive people in there and you could, like, come this way and they could get out. But if there are dead people in there, they stayed until after the Sabbath was over. There were very specific laws. On and on and on you would go about what you could do and could not do on the Sabbath. Now, what was the original point in the Sabbath? What, what was the point for the Sabbath? What, was, it, was it God's way to put restrictions on everything we do? No. It, it wasn't. It was to direct the attention of the people to God. That That's why God commands this. In Exodus chapter 20, um, here, here's where the Ten Commandments are, and this is what, what it says about the Sabbath. It says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath so that you can watch more football, right? So that you can do whatever the mess you want, right? So you can make a bunch of rules about how you need rest. No, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God devoted to the Lord your God. The Sabbath day was a day set aside for rest. Why? To remember God. To remember God and His his redeeming of the people of slavery in Egypt. But over time, the people built into the Sabbath restrictions that stole away from the heart of the command. And here in Mark, we find Pharisees questioning Jesus about His disciples. Why are your disciples doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? What's their concern? Why are they doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath? What's their concern? The concern is not that they're not worshiping God, right? Their concern is that the law that they've made for themselves and imposed on others is not being kept. And Jesus answers their questions of opposition by then asking them a question. I I love it. Um, If you stop to think about this question, it's actually really funny. And so I want to help us um, all enjoy this. Jesus says, have you never read what David did when he and his men were hungry? Now, if anyone knew the Bible, who was it? Pharisees, right? And so Jesus turns to them and says, have you never read what David did? Right? And it's a smack. It was funnier to me. All right, so here we go. Um, if anyone had had read about this, it, it was the Pharisees. And, and so this event that we have is in 1 Samuel 21. You can read it sometime, but here's what happens. D- David and his men are on the run from Saul. And and they're hungry. And so they go into the tabernacle on the Sabbath, and they ask the priest, do you have anything to eat for, for us? And the priest says, I don't have anything but these loaves of bread, these holy uh, this holy bread... And the holy bread was the bread that was placed on the altar. that was only to be eaten by the priests on the Sabbath. You, you can read about it sometime in 1 Samuel. But the short version of the story is that the priest gives the bread to David and his men so that they can eat. And Jesus uses that story, which the Pharisees know. He uses that story... To illustrate this very thing with the Pharisees. And he points this out here in Mark. And he says the Sabbath was made for man. Not man for the Sabbath. The, the point is this. The command of observing the Sabbath. The discipline of the Sabbath was made for men. It was put in place so that God's people would look to him. That, that's why it was put in, in, into place. The Sabbath is a gift. From God to his people, it's not a burdensome restriction to to turn the eyes and the hearts of men to the restriction. You hear that? It wasn't a burdensome restriction to turn the eyes and the hearts of men to the restriction. It's a gift from God for the refreshment of his people. And the Pharisees were more concerned about the discipline of keeping the Sabbath than they are about the purpose of it. And, and isn't how, that, how we see our lives a lot of the times when we begin to create disciplines in, in our own lives? Let, let's not be too quick to point the finger at, at, at the Pharisees. The kinds of disciplines and structures that we set up in our lives are, are sometimes good. And they turn our hearts and, and our affections toward Jesus. But it often seems that we use Jesus as our discipline. We use Jesus as our reason to get to the places where we we want to to get. And so here I think we need to hear that Jesus is not our discipline. We we see that often in New Year's resolutions. A lot of those are great. They're very good. They turn our hearts to Jesus if directed in, in the right ways. We've seen it most recently in the discussion of Lent. The original intent behind the man-made, not God-made, the man-made observance of Lent was to abstain from something in preparation for the celebration of Jesus' death and resurrection on Easter. Did you know that? That, that was the original purpose behind Lent, was to prepare your heart and your mind and your soul over 40 days for, for the celebration of what happened on Easter, the death and resurrection of, of Jesus. And, and, and that's what our eyes are to be pointed toward. Its purpose initially was to have an extended period of time to prepare our hearts for celebrating Jesus. And, and if that, here, I just want to say this: if that's what you're actually doing, right? By, by giving up meat and alcohol and, and sugar and Facebook and smoking and dancing and drinking and playing cards, if that's what you're you're doing. But in those restrictions, then great. I, I, I'm all for it. Don't hear me say, don't walk out of here and hear me say, well, forget that. I'm going to shove meat in my face now. I'm going to eat sugar and play cards. No, that's not what I'm saying. If, if you're doing it so that your eyes would be turned to Jesus, then, then, then that's a fantastic thing. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus in those minutes when you could be eating a steak, and, and that's a great thing. So that, that's a great thing. We, we see that over and over, but let's be honest. Let's just be honest for a minute. Often we use those things that are meant to direct our hearts to Jesus as some weight loss program. We use those things that are, uh, are meant to turn our eyes to Jesus as a way to kickstart our New Year's resolutions that we gave up on January 2nd. We use those things that are are meant to direct our hearts and our affections to Jesus to show me and to show others that that I can do this. I, I can hold to something. And we often use our disciplines for our own purposes so that we would feel more significant in some way. And that flies in the face of the gospel. Who wants to hear that? If we're doing one of these things to, to in some way hype our own significance, then, then that flies in the face of the gospel. There is nothing we can do to earn the acceptance or, or favor or significance with God. And Jesus is saying here, the discipline of plucking grain or not plucking grain is not the issue. The practice of the discipline is not the issue. The issue is what? What? Why did God set up the Sabbath? So that there would be set aside time to focus on the goodness of God. It's a time of refreshment and renewal and relationship with the God of the universe. And so what does Jesus say? The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, he says, I'm here. I'm here. I'm the point of these disciplines. All of these things are meant to point to me, and I'm here, and I'm Lord over all of these things. The discipline is not the point I am. And I think we need to hear that, that that Jesus is not our discipline. He's our Lord. He's the one we're looking to. He's he's the one our discipline points to. To. It's no longer accomplishing what it is meant to, to accomplish, and it's become an, an idol, and so we need to turn from that and and turn to Jesus. Jesus is not our discipline tool. Got that? It's not an add-on. He, he's not our discipline. What else do we see of Jesus? If he's not those things, then what is he? That, that's what we need to, to end on. Look at chapter 3. Look at chapter 3. Look at, look at verse 1 says this, again he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a the withered hand and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. There they are again, popping up right behind the bush or the chair or wherever they're hiding. They watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do harm? Or to, say, to save life, or to kill, but they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Jesus enters the synagogue. And it happens, just happens to be, that while he's there, there, there's a man there with a withered hand, a deformed hand of some sort. It's almost as if they, the Pharisees have, have hired this man to come in so that they can set up some test to see if Jesus will give in. Now Why does all this matter? Why? Because it's on the Sabbath again. The Pharisees are looking to see if he's going to break the laws of, of the Sabbath. They're, they're wondering if Jesus would work to heal this man on the Sabbath. They were waiting, Mark tells us, to accuse him. And Jesus knows that, and so he calls the man over toward him. He says, come here. And, and then what's he do? He, he points his direction, uh, his attention to the Pharisees, right? And, and he asks them two questions to put the weight back on them. They're pointing this out on him, and he puts the weight back on them. He says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? That's the first question. The, the Pharisees had only one answer, right? And, and their answer was this. It, it's lawful on the Sabbath to not work, period. That, that's their only answer. That's the only thing that they that comes to their their mind. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? Well, Jesus had a different answer than what the Pharisees would probably answer in his his answers sprang from kindness and mercy and what was required of him as, as God's son. Really, what, what's required of every person who, who says that they are a follower of God. In the book of Micah, we get this questioning from the prophet back and forth. And, and he works through this whole thing and he says, how, how should I come before God? Micah, Micah chapter 6 says, how should I come before God? What, what kinds of sacrifices should I bring to you, God? Should I, should, I bring, should I bring thousands of rams? Should I bring rivers of oil? Should I give you my, my first child? What should I give to you? Now, what, what's, the, what's the question being asked here in, in the book of Micah? Really, what's being asked is, what is lawful for me to do? And whatever is lawful, I want to one up it in some way. So God tell me what's lawful, and, and I want to set that up, the bar up a little bit higher. But but here's the answer to that line of questioning in Micah chapter six. It says this He has told you, O oh man, what is good. He, he's already told you what's good and, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. What, what's more important? What's more important to the, the questioning of the Pharisees and, and the question that then Jesus asks of them? Is it, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? Remember, the Sabbath is set aside for rest and renewal from God so that we would see more of God. The Sabbath is about God and, and woven through that is, is God's desires for His people that they would be humble and that they would, they would have mercy toward others and that they would, they would love others. And, and when Jesus sees a man with a deformed hand, the way that God would be made more holy would be to act in mercy and in kindness toward that man. That's more lawful when Jesus begins to think about it. Does that make sense? Jesus is thinking, what is more lawful here? To, to honor God in the way that I'm acting, and the way that he's, he's called me and others to act, or, or to, to abide by a law that's been placed on me by, by man. And so Jesus asks the question, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? And the implied answer is, I've got to do good and loving things for this man, because that's about God's honor, not yours or mine. There's mercy there, there's kindness and there's humility there in our Savior. J- Jesus knew the plan of the people and he? he knew the plan of the Pharisees and he, he could have very easily avoided their plan by not healing this man. He, he knew what the end of this story was and he could have very easily avoided that by telling the guy, hey, meet me out back, I'll heal you there, Right? The second question Jesus asks is directed at the Pharisees, and it's about their motivation and, and ultimately their, their end plan. And he says this, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to save life or to kill? Their intent was to try to find reasons for, for, to accuse Jesus. That, that was the Pharisees' intent, so that they could kill him. I want us to catch this. What, what, what a haunting foreshadowing in this question. When Jesus asks the question, what is more lawful, to save life or to kill? He's looking at the Pharisees and he's asking that question of them. Jesus knows their plan is to kill him. And, and he knows the Father's plan is to save many by his death. And so he asks the question, what's more lawful? on the Sabbath, to save life or to kill it. Either way, God wins. Jesus is a merciful and humble Savior. Jesus knows their plan, and we're told that he looked around at at, at them with anger and grieved at their hardness of heart. And when he looks at this man's hand, he he grabs it, he he completely restores it, heals it, showing kindness, his, his mercy, his humility. Jesus had the authority to heal, Even when he knows his healing will be cause for his own destruction, he heals. And the Pharisees do what? They immediately leave the synagogue silenced and angry. And they hold a meeting with the Herodians, a group of people who were for Herod. Just simply leave it at that. A group of people who are for Herod, they they leave the synagogue and they set up a meeting. And in this meeting, they're, they're planning the death of Jesus. From the very beginning in this interaction in the synagogue, the Pharisees had a plan to accuse Jesus. They were going after Jesus so that they could move toward their ultimate plan of destroying him. And, and Jesus has the authority to heal, yet in his humility he goes along with the plan, knowing the outcome of the plan is to save, right? To be killed and to save. Jesus is a, a merciful and humble savior so we see in, in this very first verses of chapter 3 he's not our add-on he's he's not our discipline he is our merciful and humble savior now here's the challenge for us and we'll be finished here here's the challenge in all of these interactions as we think through all the all three of these sections how do we how do we view Jesus How do we view Jesus? Let's not be quick to point our fingers at the Pharisees because at times we probably view Jesus as an add-on, don't we? There are times in our lives when we probably view Jesus as our discipline tool. But Jesus did not come to to be used by us to meet our desires. You hear that? Jesus did not come to be used by us to meet our desires, to help us gain significance for ourselves, to be tacked on to life as an afterthought. That's not why He came. He did not come to be used by us, but He came to be used for us. He came to be used for us, to reconcile us to the Father. So my question for us, as we think through these passages, and we we think uh, about all the others that are doing wrong, and we're pointing our fingers, is what is our view of Jesus? This morning, if there are areas in our lives where we're we're seeing that we've, yeah, we've just tacked Jesus on as an add-on, then we need to confess that. That's sin. It's sick. It's sin. And if there are areas in your life this morning where, where you've seen that you've used Jesus as some disciplined tool in your life, you need to confess that. Because that's sin and, and that's a, a sick view of who Jesus is. And here's what we need to do. We need to then ask God to help us turn from that. Because that's woven through who we are in a lot of sinful and nasty ways. And so we need God's help to turn from that maybe you're here this morning and, and all of this talk about Jesus and who he is and, and, and what he is. That maybe it's all new to you. And so here, here's what I would say to you. Keep coming back and, and hear that the gospel is not about tacking Jesus on or, or doing the right religious things. But the gospel is, is about re- turning from sin, recognizing you have sin, and recognizing that Jesus is your significance, not you. That, that's what we all need to hear. And I pray that that would sink in deeply, that Jesus is our foundation. When everything else is is shifting and turning and and shifting out from underneath our feet, Jesus is our foundation. Can I pray that for us, that we would believe that? Let, Let me pray. Father. As we work through a, a long passage of scripture and we see how Jesus uh, interacted with the Pharisees, um, I, I pray that we would see ourselves um, places in ourselves where where we're like the Pharisees. Help us to see those things. Help me to see that, God. I need your help. So often I I um I view Your Son as some add-on, something that's going to get me to the next place. God, I confess that that's sick. I confess that that's twisted and, and a slap in the face of the reason why you sent your son. He's not a tool to be used by me. He's your son who you sent to become sin for us our sick and our our twisted sin um, has been placed on Jesus. Help us to know that and to see that. We need your help in that. Help us to turn from the sin of thinking that that we, we have things together, like the Pharisees. Help us to see those things. All these things we pray, knowing that you help, knowing that you are here as a help, you've you've left your Spirit as a help for us, and so we we plead with you to help us. Amen.